excuse me. Pardonnez-moi. <laughs> that answers the question, will the circle be unbroken? Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Put on a Stack of 45, the program that pre- presents a 45 RPM recording of Note. We, we take it out of its sleeve, we dust it off, and we deconstruct it, and we examine it, we shine a light on it, and we, we uh, reveal our uh, purpose, which is to provide what the impact of these recordings have been on our lives and uh, will continue to be in our estimation for uh, the eternal ride that we are taking. For Bill, we are on an eternal ride. Mm -hmm. And there's no greater group than the staple singers to remind us of the joyous nature of the celebrations of the great gospel traditions as inhabited by the great pop traditions. Yeah, the Staples Singers, and only Mavis remains. Only Mavis remains. Great documentary on Mavis, and uh, highly recommended. Um, I believe it was on. I'm not sure which streaming channel, because there's 814 of them. But uh, it's it, it's a great film, and I'm sure it's called Mavis exclamation point Mavis, and it's from 2015. 2015. So we're talking about Roebuck, Pop Staples, Cleotha Staples, Mavis, of course, Purvis Staples, and Yvonne Staples. What a fucking history. Um, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, Pops, Roebuck, he was uh, from a sharecropper family on Dockery Farms along the same farms that Charlie Patton and Sun House came from. That's right. That's right. That's and he, so he carried with him that deep Delta blues tradition. But, you know, it's so wild. He, he took his family and they moved to Chicago and, and they started playing churches. And But he, what then... The, the record that we're going to feature, I'll Take You There, for, it was from 1972, made it to number one on the pop charts. On the Stax label, the B-side was I'm Just Another Soldier, produced by Al Bell from the album B-Altitude. But when they found Stax, or Stax found them, and they started doing the Muscle Shoals thing, this combination of 
spiritual music and pop music came to its absolute apex. But we must give the initial credit to the remarkable country producer Billy Sherrill, whom in 1967 produced them on Epic produced them on Epic and their 1967 cover of For What It's Worth, the Buffalo Springfield song. Right. Here's the vision of Billy Sherrill. Uh, country producer who understands the nature of the audience that this group needs to reach, and then, ten years later, puts them in a studio with George Jones to record a duet of Will the Circle Be Unbroken. That's the arc that the Staple Singers produced uh, from their initial recordings and we're talking about Pop Staples was recording back in the 50s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, know, band, the band started in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. And I love their performance on Soul Train. So, yeah. So, and Watt Stacks. And Watt Stacks. Although Watt Stacks is, is a tribute to Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. And but if, they, they, they have a great rousing. Uh, section on there, and but the performance in the Last Waltz is probably the most memorable on film for them. Wow, beautifully filmed, yeah. Yeah. Um, this song was also used by Chevrolet in 1997 to to uh, advertise their Malibu. <laughs> hey, even God, yeah, you talk about full circle, baby. God needs a good ride. God needs a good yeah, ride yeah. too, man. You know, my ride's here. I think that yeah, my ride's here. So yeah, so you know, t- you know, the, the labels that the group had gone through: United, VJ, Checker, Riverside, the the great jazz label, Stax, of course, Epic, Columbia, uh, Kurtom, as they joined forces with Curtis Mayfield, United Artists, Warner Brothers, Atlantic, and Sony Music. Let's Do It Again was uh, everywhere for a while. Yeah. And that was... Well, there was also a movie, I believe. Uh, yes, it was a motion um, picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, 1952, like you said, they were recording for VJ, Uncloudy Day, and Will It Circle Be Unbroken. And Dylan says, as a teenager listening to Mavis uh, back in Hibbing, in his bedroom in Hibbing, you know, was a major influence and then he always imagined that she was about the same age as he was and I believe they did get together yeah but I always take what Dylan says with a grain of salt he, he, <laughs> said, he said the same about Bobby V 
and he went. Well, he, yeah, but, he yeah, went he chasing. For Bobby v, yeah, that's uh, true. Two performances. He went chasing Bobby V. So he said. Yeah. But the illustrious uh, imagination of Bob Dylan is something. That yeah. Well, always, God bless it. Yeah. God yeah, bless yeah, it. yeah. Who who knows what? He but my point is, this is in 1952. They made these records, and uh, we're talking about 20 years later when I'll, I'll take you there came out. So talk about this arc and this longevity. Well, it's also the growth and the depth of music itself. It's the ability for soul music to have transcended into uh, another style of popular music for the Stax label to be able to um, take doo-wop songs like A Thousand Miles Away by the Tempries um, and be able to channel that into more pop this this entire mechanism that the music industry conducts is all predicated, of course, upon popular taste. Selling records, but you know the 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 thing that Mavis has said and always said was that their mission was to uplift, and she still she still follows that. So you know, even they they unlike Ray Charles, who you know married gospel with uh, sex. Uh, they they stayed on the path of uh, the message. Well, if you listen to the lyrics of "Let's Do It Again," if there <laughs> if there is not a sexual overtone to that, then I don't know what recording has a sexual overtone. I understand what you're saying, but it's also like saying Al Green proclaimed he was no longer going to sing the suggestive music. And then when it came down to the fact that he wasn't getting the audiences by singing every gospel song in his uh, in, in, in his biblical notebook. Yeah, to pay for those skin treatments yeah, after being uh, scalded with oatmeal. After, <laughs> so he had a lot of dues to pay personally, Al. <laughs> I'm not suggesting for one moment that Nathan's well, dead. Well, you know, just like Jimmy Swagger. It's you know, the, we, all, we all are sinners. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that's. Yes, you are. You are. You listen you're, to you're. listen to that performance. She is selling it, and she. Well, she's is, sexy. She's yeah, always been damn sexy. straight. So let's not let's not kid ourselves about the sexuality. But of, I'll take you there. Is pure call and response from the church. Absolutely. Only two, only two chords, and it's all about you know faith. And you talk about faith uh, for those who saw the Summer of Soul. It is called Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. And West Love's documentary. Mavis steps in with Mahalia Jackson, who's not feeling very well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And (laughs) performs on a par with the greatest gospel singer of all times. Uh, And this is going back before there's any appreciation in the white community for what Mm -hmm. this music represents. And Questlove, God bless him for having had the tenacity to make sure that this footage saw the light of day. Well, Um, this is where we have to give credit to the archivists, the people who preserve, because this thing was in vaults for 
40 years. Well, nobody wanted it because nobody wanted a black Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And as we have conversed and we've spoken about on on this program, I had yeah. attended uh, a number of those uh, shows in Harlem. And I can assure you that the victories that were achieved there, there were many victories achieved there that were not achieved at Woodstock. They simply weren't. And I was at Woodstock and in Harlem the same week because the events took place the same week. And... Uh, we certainly could have lived without Shanana, but can you imagine if they had put the staple singers up there in front of mm. in front of all those kids? You talk about uplifting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh It happened, but it happened later. But as we say, yeah, someone like Questlove is a definite uh he is a biographer and he he, he reminds me in many ways of what we attempt to do. And what we speak about, our efforts are all about. About assuring the fact that this material is not forgotten and that artists such as the Staple Singers and their history are remembered uh, in in, in a place where they belong. Uh, And now the the record, I'll Take You There, was a follow-up to Respect Yourself, which was also... A monster hit. both on that same album, The Altitude. But I'm afraid that more people heard the Bruce Willis version than heard the Staples. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, and uh, I watched the video and uh, was not impressed. Well, wasn't this and during... That's why they brought in the Pointer Sister for to do the whole second half of the thing. Well, of course. He couldn't handle it. No, no, no. What he, what he could handle is, uh, I believe this was during his moonlighting period. Yeah, you so, had some hair on his head, so yeah. It was like what they did with Don Johnson and teaming him up with Keith Richards uh, to get a try to get a hit record out of Miami Vice. So this was, of course, 
a, a tradition in the industry. Yeah. You know, you try to market. And he was copying the uh, the uh, the vocal as well as he could, uh, note for note. But what it does do is it does demonstrate what a great song it is. Because if you yeah. can if you can listen to Bruce Willis sing it, then you know it's a great song. Respect your yeah. We we spoke about it. Should we feature "Respect Yourself" or "I'll Take You There"? And I, I chose "I'll Take You There," but I'd be just as happy if we did both. But in retrospect, since that conversation, I'm very glad that we went with uh, your your instinctive choice because "I'll Take You There" is the uh, it's this prolific gospel pop recording that perfectly addresses the instincts of the kinds of music that it's attempting to honor and illuminate. Yeah, Uh, and I just want to give some shout-out to some of the musicians on that Muscle Shoal crew because, you know, when she goes, Daddy now, and you hear the lead guitar player, it's not Daddy, it's Eddie Hinton playing the lead guitar. The great Eddie Hinton. Great Eddie Hinton, David Hood on bass, Roger Hawkins on the drums, and Barry Beckett on the electric piano. And you know, it's kind of a shame because uh, when I listen to the uh, Billy Sherrill, George Jones, staple singles version of "Will the Circle Be Unbroken," it's it's it, that was a staple, no pun intended, in the set of the staple singers and it was also a staple in the George Jones uh, um, set and the Carter family and of course the Carter family but here's a song where you're combining the it is a demonstration of how blues informs country country informs blues and then you take it into the realm of what you think are is this conflict between because you've got one great black country singer uh allegedly in charlie pride who's being promoted pop staples pop staples could handle that material just oh hell yes just as when you you listen to charlie Patton from dockery farms and you see where pops took all that Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And his instincts were almost naive. He didn't really understand in interviews. He didn't truly understand the uh, the origins of what it is that he was uh, creating. Well, I'm trying to remember. I read something or we spoke of something not too long ago about Pop Staples signature guitar sound of that heavy reverb with the tremolo. Um, and that being a tremendously influential sound for many recording artists. Oh, yeah. You listen to Slim Harpo. You listen to Jimmy Reed. You listen to all of the artists who were playing with their miniature amps because they had to use them out on the street uh, before Led Zeppelin. And uh, the... the <laughs> And cream, the giant, and Jimmy, the giant amplification systems uh, allowed you to do that. You had to improvise these 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 fascinating sounds that started in the street. So you've got uh, 
more hit records for them than one would have uh, anticipated in retrospect. They they have done they they did a wonderful job, and as you say, Mavis being the last staple standing is also probably the final uh, the final key to this crossover that is not completely uh, Christianized. Mm-hmm. Where do you hear? real gospel music these days unless it's a gospel oriented station or a, or what's called christian rock so here's the definition of how you take this and you smuggle it in and the wonder and probably aretha did you see the the film respect no, I have not seen the film Respect, but you're absolutely correct. But that, of course... Aretha was a kind of a, a bridge builder. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I just think that given what they attempted to do with Aretha's career and the Columbia uh, debacles where they didn't know what to do with her, it was right. always understood what to do with uh a group like the Staple Singers and a voice like Mavis Staples. Yes, right. You know, there was always, there was nowhere else to go. They there. were in charge of their sound. Yes. They from were, the beginning. From from the very beginning. A lot of people, a lot of cooks stirred Aretha's stew. Yes. About Jerry Wexler. Once again, Muscle Shoals, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to give credit to, to, uh, to Rich Hall and Fame Rich Studios, Hall, yeah. and uh, you know that th- that in, that entire episode of recording is is so important in how these records came to be, um, and of course Stax, which just couldn't sustain itself under the weight of its own fame. Uh, and yeah, why did they go bankrupt? Well, that's another. It's a. It's, it's a I don't want to get in. You, you've you've got I, uh, you've got you've, you've got some bad decisions, and it, there's a book uh, called "The Stack Story," which pretty much tells you point by point what happened. But they just stop paying attention. Sometimes you start making a hell of a lot of money, and you start veering off into other directions. And the success of Isaac Hayes and David Porter, and then Isaac Hayes by himself. Um, promoted the idea that you could look away oh. and you could just start. That's why Watt Stacks <laughs> is not the most uh, honorable tribute to that period. Mm. Although Rufus Thomas is splendid, Luther Ingram's If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right, doesn't really denote what Stax Records was truly all about. Right. Or does that finale of that film, which is Isaac doing the the record of the... Uh, theme from Shaft. The theme from Shaft, which was considered the record of the century at that particular Damn point. Damn straight. Damn straight. So, you know, they made hay while the sun shined, and then the hay began to uh, turn different Multi. colors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, as you say, that whole stacks singles set puts into perspective um, the magnificent work that was done. Glorious sounds. I mean, you just take one listen to Albert King's uh, "Born Under a Bad Sign," and 
wow, wow, who was getting away with that? And it, it's being played on AM radio. So, yeah, they, they were hooked into something very, very special. And, Bill, speaking of very special, you're very special. Oh, be, be, oh thank you. Because Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball is becoming a more and more popular program on Dig This. As Captain, oh, I'm so, so pleased to hear that. The Captain, Everybody reach out to me and tell me. You know, our, our listeners like to be quiet, but that's, that's okay. We respect, we respect quietness. I, of all people, should respect silence. <laughs> Don't you think, Bill? <laughs> that's, a, that's a true friend. That's a true friend. But I do want to hear the record. But the captain, yes, but the captain, before, just one more thing, the captain will always take you there. Ladies and gentlemen, the Staples Singers, I'll take you there. Oh, I know a place.
See, that's where I was going with that. I was going with you take people there with your eight track uh, you selection. I, I, I can't always tell. I know, I know. I, sometimes I don't. You know, I don't give it away as easily as you're. You're cagey. I'm a cagey that way. Cagey dude, man. Cagey dude. But we were talking about uh, Captain Billy's Magic Eight Ball. He digs into his treasure of eight tracks and selects one, gives you insight into the recording, and uh, then we play the entire album in high definition for your enjoyment and downloading pleasure, and. also coming up, we've been saving this one, we've been saving it, but it's coming up this week, and by the time you hear this, it'll possibly be up already. Our next Splendid Boho, where we award a great character actor the recognition he or she deserves for making a motion picture even greater than the motion picture was. In this case, Mr. Laird Krieger. I know every time I just say his name. <laughs> you, great name. Yeah, Laird Krieger. and the Laird. Fil- where not he not that many lairds not that many lairds left in the world and yeah. he wins for I wake up screaming and so that episode's coming up and uh, we have a lot of joy for you my friends in a world filled with confusion and rage we want to bring you as much joy as we uh, possibly can and uh, let you know that uh, we will be your bohemian free Europe did I say that right? Uh, it was called radio. Sure. It was radio free Europe. It was called. It's right? radio free, and you're saying bohemian free. But we're bohemian free Europe. There, I was trying to make a connection. There probably yeah. didn't, didn't work, but you got to take risks in this business, Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spirit is willing. You got to take risks, and uh, I'm going to take a risk right now and uh, bid you farewell. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their day, and. Uh, Mr. Bill Mesnick will be back with Mr. Rich Buckland, Bill, out there in California. And here I am in the uh, Sunshine State, the the Florida, the wonders of Florida, where the masks are coming off quicker than... And the governor is getting ready to make a run for the presidency. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I mean... I, <laughs> I I don't even what know where to start. All I know is we got we have the courage of uh, of Mr. Stephen Breyer to thank for the Supreme Court being altered a bit and uh, it making uh, having it look much more like this country. And uh, we take what victories we can get. I don't think we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at an interesting midterm election, but. Uh, yeah. The main election that I'm concerned about is what will be our next 45. You'll have to tune in and find out, won't you, gang? Mm, intriguing. Mm, intriguing. Mr. Mesnick, I love you, and uh, thank you so love much. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay.